June 2nd from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. WBAI New York. It's 6 a.m. Coming up next, Waking Up Today with Celeste Katz. Good morning, and thanks for starting your day here with us at WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz, and this is a special edition of Waking Up. I'm here in the studio with Alana and Michael until 8 o'clock today. Juliana Forlano is back with you on Monday. Just checking the weather for you. We're going to see some fog before around 9 a.m. Then it'll be mostly sunny here in New York, according to the National Weather Service. High near 83 degrees. Northwest winds around 7 miles per hour. About 63 degrees right now. Quick look at today's headlines. Measles cases in the U.S. have reached record-breaking numbers. They're now at their highest point in 25 years. Nearly 1,000 known cases have already been reported in 2019. That's compared to 372 cases reported last year. Federal health officials say the spike is the result of information, misinformation campaigns about vaccination. Measles cases have been reported in 26 states this year, but the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say New York City and Rockland County have been the most significant public health concerns. Two travelers in Rockland County were recently blocked from air travel because they were exposed to the disease. The CDC says if the outbreaks continue, measles may, may no longer be considered eliminated in the United States. Recording artist Art Kelly has been charged with 11 new counts of sexual abuse, including some that carry maximum penalties of 30 years in prison. The additional charges are brought by Johanna Pace, who was a minor at the time of the alleged crimes. Pace was one of the women to come forward with allegations of abuse in the Lifetime docuseries Surviving R. Kelly that came out in January of this year. The new charges have been added to R. Kelly's existing case, which involves alleged sexual abuse of four women between the years 1998 and 2010. 
He's due back in court next week. A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, the 94th annual Scripps National Spelling Bee, came an astounding end when an unprecedented eight contestants shared first place honors. All eight spelled the word correctly in the 20th and final round, according to ESPN. Each of the champion spellers received the full $50,000 cash prize and a Scripps Cup after the historic showdown. We have a lot more coming up to you uh, today on today's program, including a special guest, somebody that's going to be very familiar. We're going to play him in with a little music. We'll be right back. course a very special rendition of Over the Rainbow by Israel Kamaka Viva Ole. Hope I said that right. And uh, with that I am happy to welcome to the program a very familiar voice, our own Jeff Simmons. Good morning Jeff. Good morning Celeste. How excited are you that I'm waking you up this early? (laughs) I'm already up. It's only been 12 hours since I last saw you. 
I know, and I bet you miss me already. Um, so, well, it's good to talk to you in the early morning hours, too. Why, thank you. So for those of you who don't know Jeff, which you should, which you should, uh, he's an amazing uh, PR guy for a lot of very worthy nonprofits. Uh, he has a long track record working in government. Before that, he was a reporter for New York One, the New York Post, and the New York Daily News. He's also the guy that you can blame for getting me involved in WBAI. Now we're co-hosts on Driving Forces <laughs> on Thursday afternoon, Drive Time. Get the name, get it, see what we did there. He's also the host of City Watch here on BAI on Sundays. And this Sunday in particular, June 2nd, he has a really, really special program coming up to commemorate the fact that it's been 50 years since Stonewall. So this is going to be sort of the kickoff of a lot of special programming that we're going to have here on BAI for Pride Month. So Jeff, tell us about that. Tell us, tell us about your show and who we're going to be hearing from. I know you've put a ton of work into this. Sure. So uh, I want to thank Linda uh, from WBAI for allowing us to do this on Sunday because it's going to be a, an amazing day. Uh, you know, tomorrow starts what is normally known as LGBTQIA Pride Month uh, in New York City, but also across the uh, the country. And this month, a lot of what is going to be going on in New York City is focused around what's called World Pride Activities to note the upcoming June 28th anniversary of the uh, Stonewall Uprising. Uh, I'm sure our listeners, uh, especially longtime listeners, have heard specials that have been on WBAI. There's also going to be a premium, uh, which uh, I'll be able to talk about shortly, uh, a premium that we offer that day, too, uh, uh, about a special that we had done once before. But what is go- we're going to do on Sunday is we have, starting at 11 a.m., uh, I'll be hosting a special called Pride, Progress, and Politics, the 50 Years Since Stonewall. And we've assembled a number of guests from 11 to 3. And then following that, our coverage is going to continue with two of our other shows that I'm sure our listeners are very familiar with. Uh, it's uh, Radio Gag, which is Gays Against Guns. And Mary Ellen Novak is promising to have a number of good guests between 3 and 4.30. And then following that, the folks from Out FM, led by John Riley, uh, say that they're going to have from 4:30 till 6 o'clock um, a number of uh, a discussion of a number of the issues uh, about around queer activism over the last 50 years. So, when you were picking out these guests and when you were sort of setting up your interviews, this is really 50 years is a really really big milestone what we're without giving away too much of the show but maybe just giving us a taste of what's uh, what's going to be in the program how are people feeling that we've reached this point in history yeah what's so amazing is that you know it, it, it was not difficult to find a number of of milestones between 1969 and 2019 i mean some of the clearest ones that you could think of are going to be part of the discussion that we have. For, as, for instance, marriage equality. You think of the U.S. Supreme Court decision uh, in 2015, which made marriage equality uh, 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 a right in our country. So we're going to be talking with Evan Wilson, who was the founder of Freedom to Marry, about the strides. But given you know what this country is witnessing right now as far as challenges to a number of rights not just LGBTQ rights, but rights overall, uh, you know, this is going to be a key part, right, I believe, a theme throughout the day, because 
in talking with a number of these guests in advance of this Sunday's special, this topic has come up. You know, where are we going to go from here? Are we going to see setbacks or are we going to see more successes? Yeah, that's that's something that I was I was thinking about a lot of people that I've spoken to over the course of the last year, two years and so on. A lot of progress has been made, but at the same time, I think a lot of people are very, very openly concerned about some of the direction uh, they've seen in the country, certain things like uh, the uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop case, for example, people were concerned about that. Uh, uh, transgender issues, the the bills regarding uh, single sex or single gender or non-gendered bathrooms, uh, or even the fact that President Trump is trying to create a much, much more conservative federal judiciary that's going to be looking at a lot of the cases that might come up going ahead. People are concerned about that in itself potentially being a threat to people's rights. Are you hearing some of that as well? or? Oh, completely. We are. You know, and, and we're not just talking about something as simple as after Stonewall, you know, uh, this was seen as a defining moment in the history of, of of gay advocacy. You know, we are talking about issues that you know affect, for instance, uh, gays in the military. You know, uh, uh, one of the guests that you connected me with, Tanya Domi, uh, was uh, someone who had confronted this during her military career before she was out. Uh, she was investigated, and we're going to talk about her progression. Uh, we are also going to be talking with, uh, let's see, oh, I know who you would love to hear about. Who's that? Former Congressman Barney Frank. We had a brief conversation yesterday. I cannot wait for this. I'd met him once before during uh, John Kerry's presidential campaign, and we had a good conversation. And he is a font of information and also of opinions. I cannot wait to hear what he has to say about our current climate right now and where this country is going. That is, and Tanya, by the way, I'm really glad that you got her for the program, and I spoke to her a little bit uh, over the weekend or after we did the Memorial Day program on Monday. And Mm -hmm. she has a a really incredible story as somebody who was in the military and just confronted, well, I'll let her tell her own story, but just the the level level of – of sort of harassment and, frankly, I think, abuse that she confronted while serving uh, serving in the military is really, I don't think, something that this country should be particularly proud of. Um, at the same time, though, I don't mean to make this a downer. Obviously, there is a lot to celebrate. What do you think is going to be kind of the mood of the 50th anniversary? Again, this is a, this is a right here for us in New York. I think Stonewall is a name that's known all over the world pretty much, but we are right here uh, where it all started. You know what? Uh, it, that's a very interesting question. And what I, I feel is that from the conversations I've had leading up to this, that there is a lot of frustration and worry right now, uh, you know, amid our, our country's climate. But at the same time, everyone that I've spoken with uh, has talked about their own coming out process. And, you know, the age that they were when Stonewall happened, if they were alive back then, and, you know, and what has, you know, how that was a turning point. Uh, the people who are on the front lines of advocacy, one gentleman, Ron Goldberg, who is doing a book called The Boy with the Bullhorn, was on the front lines 
of AIDS advocacy during the 80s. Uh, I believe he became a member of ACT UP in 1987. Uh, and, you know, he just talked about the empowerment and how people coalesced around an issue. And so I think a common theme is going to be, you know, people taking control of their lives and trying to create a you know, change for a greater good. That's cool. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Obviously, there's a long way to go, but I don't think that that should in any way sort of dampen the celebration of how far we have come. And I'm sure it's going to be a, a mix of feelings. I think that probably there are going to be some people who are really happy with or even surprised by the progress. But at the same time, I'm sure that it's very frustrating and disappointing for people who hope that we would have done better by now in terms of equal rights for everybody. Agreed. And, you know, before I know we only have a short period of time to talk and I won't run through all the guests, but just for our listeners, you know, they should know that we'll be speaking with, for instance, authors such as Eric Marcus, who wrote the acclaimed book, Making History, The Struggle for Gay and Lesbian Equal Rights. Uh, and we'll be talking with Stacey Lentz, one of the co-owners of the Stonewall Inn. Wow. Uh, uh, Andrew Tobias, uh, a name that many folks might uh I know uh, of he wrote the best little boy in the world, which is a groundbreaking book. He wrote it under a pseudonym in 1973 when he was still very fearful of using his name. But then I think it was about 15 or uh, years later, he uh, he then uh, had an updated issue come out where he used his real name. And last night I actually ran into at an event with uh, the New York City Council speaker, who sp- uh, Corey Johnson, who spoke about Stonewall. I ran into Melissa Sklar's a transgender activist. Oh, we yeah? talked about, you know, yeah. I hope to tell her I said hi. Conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Uh, we talked about her challenges uh, being on the front lines of the transgender movement, not just really here in New York City, but across the country. She's perceived as a significant leader. And we'll talk about what has been going on with the uh, presidential administration as far as efforts to curb transgender rights when it comes to the military or health care. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm sure that there's a lot going on, and I know we only have a couple of minutes, and I am being super rude waking you up this early, but too bad. I appreciate you doing it, though. Uh, there must be are there an incredible must be an incredible array of uh, celebrations and activities and ways to uh, for people to observe Pride Month and, in particular, this 50th anniversary since Stonewall. There must be just uh, is there anything in particular that has really caught your eye? You know what's interesting the the signature event always is you know everything kind of coalesces around this is the uh the pride march that happens the uh last sunday of every june so it's on uh, june 30th you know it's that uh that is two days after the uh you know the anniversary of the stonewall uprising uh there are a number of events at the stonewall inn uh, there are a ton of events. Uh, if you look up World Pride in New York City, you're going to see a, you know, more than you can handle. Uh, so I really feel like uh, New York, New York City is going to be uh, uh, wearing a purple robe uh, in June, um, and we'll talk about a number of these that Heritage of Pride is involved with. They're the organizers of the of the march. They were not the initial ones. They had taken it over years later. Uh, but uh, we'll be talking uh, with a gentleman from Heritage of Pride about some of those activities as we round out the show. And another 
one other nice feature. Yeah. We're going to talk with two curators from the New York Historical Society. Uh, they are, The Society just launched three Stonewall exhibitions, which I went to on opening night, uh, in, which shows all of the progress that has taken place, as well as the setbacks, mm-hmm. because it did mention a number of uh, high-profile incidents uh, you know, for instance, uh, attacks on LGBT people that became uh, defining moments in this progression for gay rights, uh, you know, over the last 50 years. So, you know, I'm going to definitely encourage our listeners that they need to visit the New York Historical Society to see these exhibitions. I believe they're on for the next several months, but they just launched last week. And Jeff, remind everybody when people should listen in for your special program on Sunday. Sure. So it starts at 11 a.m. It's called Pride, Progress, and Politics, 50 Years Since Stonewall. Uh, Our first guest uh, shortly after the hour begins will be former uh, New York State Senator and our friend Tom Duane. He was the only uh, HIV-positive member of the Senate. And following him is another familiar name, Christine Quinn, former Speaker of the New York City Council, who was one of his protégés. Absolutely. Both people that I that I covered, uh, covered uh, Tom Duane in the state Senate and uh, Christine Quinn, of course, in the uh, city council. And uh, even recently we had her on our show. So uh, mm-hmm. people who are still very much active in politics and public policy in the community. And it sounds like it's going to be a great show. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it, too. And I'm also looking forward to seeing you next Thursday on Driving Forces. Oh, that is true. So I will see you then. (laughs) And Jeff, where can people follow you on Twitter so you get a ton of new followers from this phone call? Everyone gets confused by my Twitter handle. It is at Jack Heights, H-I-T-E-S, because I live in Jackson Heights. That was my my abbreviation. So it's at Jack Heights. And, uh, And that's the same on Instagram as well, at Jack Heights. Okay, at Jack Heights, a.k.a. Jeff Simmons. Thanks for calling in to Waking Up This Morning, and we will definitely be looking for your uh, Pride special on Sunday, June 2nd. Great. Have a great day, Celeste. Okay, you too, Jeff. Thanks. So we were just talking to Jeff Simmons. Obviously, he is my co-host on Driving Forces. That's a show that we do on Thursdays at 5 p.m. That's a politics and public policy show. We do some city stuff, some state stuff, some national stuff. We get a bunch of good guests. Uh, Yesterday, we had two very different guests. One was uh, Ian Reifowitz. He is a professor at uh, SUNY Empire State, and he wrote a book about the tribalization of politics and the role that Rush Limbaugh actually played, he says, or he argues in his book, uh, in creating an environment or an attitude against the Obama era that ended up leading to us having President Trump. So that was a pretty interesting discussion. And then we also spoke to Dr. Diane Horvath, who is an OBGYN, and we talked to her about some of the threats that are going on right now in the court system and throughout the country to reproductive rights, to people's access to abortion services. So interesting program there. And we're definitely, of course, trying to bring you more presidential candidates and more local news, more local politics. So if you enjoy that kind of programming, and if you're enjoying the programming that you're listening to right now, this is, again, Waking Up here on WBAI New York, we'd like to ask you to take a moment and consider this. Consider donating to our More Than Mics campaign. This is our campaign to build out a new studio, which we are working on and it looks good. 
so we can bring you better sound, take more of your calls, and uh, get you more involved in the programming so you can tell us what's on your mind. And the way you can do this is just give us a call, 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. You can call right now. You can also just go to WBAI.org to donate, or if you happen to have your phone on you, as most all of us do all the time these days, for better or for worse, you can text WBAI to 41444 on your phone. That's WBAI to 41444. It's that easy. So for a pledge of just $50, and if you think about it, $50 over the course of a month, not that much. It's something that uh, you can help us out. You can be generous. If you can do that, if you can pledge $50, you can have a chance to actually compete for the opportunity to visit that new studio, which is almost done, and it looks good. We are almost there. You can have a chance to visit this new studio that you helped us build. And you can do it during a live broadcast of whatever your favorite show is, which is kind of cool. Living live radio. Pretty neat. So check it out. 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. If you've been listening to WBAI, I'm talking to you. If you hear my voice, that means you, not the person in the car next to you, not the person across the street, you, uh, the person who makes our programming possible, the person that we're talking to every morning on every program. We have programming at this station 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, there are a lot of people who come in here. They are volunteers. They work very hard to bring you cultural programming, public affairs programming, music programming, stuff that you really, really just do not get. Honestly, you do not get on any other station here in New York. So if you want to show your support for independent, commercial-free radio, give us a call, 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. You can also go to WBAI.org to donate. Once you get there, you can choose one of our special gifts as a thank you for your generosity. And we have some cool stuff. I have the tote bag. We were joking about this on the show yesterday on Driving Forces. I said, I'm the tote bag girl. Uh, It's like, do I need another tote bag? It's, well, yeah, you know, maybe if you would like to stop plastic bags from decorating every tree in New York. Uh, Tote bag, not a bad idea. Reusable, help out the planet. But we have other stuff there with the BAI logo. So you can wear, you can wear your support for independent free speech radio. 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602. That's how we keep all this programming on the air. We've been proud to bring you news and cultural and music programming for, for real, 60 years, six zero years on WBAI. We're a part of New York. We're a part of the community. We're a part of your day. And the way you can help us keep it that way is give us a call, 516-620-3602. We also have another program called WBAI Buddies, and it's real easy to set up. What you do is you choose an amount, and it's an automatic deduction. It's a recurring monthly donation. And once your gift gets up to just 25 bucks in a year, in an entire year, think about what do you pay for a movie ticket these days, right? For 25 bucks for an entire year, 
You can not only support the programs that you like here on BAI, you can become a voting member of this station. You can make decisions about what goes on the air, what kind of programs we have, what kind of lineups we have, what's important for us to cover and to talk about, what's important for us to listen to. Maybe you'll hear new artists, new hosts, frankly, people like me. The reason I'm doing this is WBAI has been a great opportunity for me personally to get experience in radio that I could not get, that I have not gotten anywhere else. I've been a reporter for a long time, but BAI has given me opportunities in broadcasting, the opportunity to talk to you right now. And I am a BAI buddy. I show my support for this station in that way. And I'll hope you join me, 516-620-3602, or just go to WBAI.org or text WBAI to 41444. Please don't wait. Make your pledge now. We will be right back. Stay tuned. We're going to have more news for you in just a bit. You're listening to WBAI New York. Let's 
You're listening to a very special two-hour edition of Waking Up. I'm Celeste Katz, sitting in for Juliana Forlana, who will be back with you on Monday. And right now, it's about 63 degrees in New York. Be going up to, I think, about... 83, 83. Just checking that. Don't want to screw you up as you are getting dressed and ready for your day. Uh, Speaking of that Pet Shop Boys song, which I felt like playing this morning, uh, it's called Opportunities, but it is obviously the refrain is let's make lots of money. And I thought it would be an appropriate uh, lead in for our next guest real quick. We're just going to check your headlines here. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio is back on the campaign stump this weekend. De Blasio is a long-shot candidate for the Democratic nomination for president. He's going to be visiting the Williams Chapel AME Church in Orangeburg, South Carolina, on Saturday morning. South Carolina, of course, was one of the first early voting states de Blasio visited since he launched this underdog campaign for the White House earlier this month. And as the state newspaper reports, the mayor's visit to Orangeburg in March, quote, caused waves after he was videoed dancing to R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly at Orangeburg Victory Tabernacle Deliverance Temple. The event was just days after R. Kelly exploded during an interview with Gail King in which she asked about allegations against the singer of sexual assault of young women, unquote. So apparently we are... I'm going to take a flyer and guess we're not looking for a repeat of that one on this next trip to South Carolina. And uh, as you know, if you listen to WBAI, de Blasio, of course, is uh, also out there. He's been visiting states like Iowa, Nevada, and other places where people try to get some traction as they jump into the race. And uh, of course, though, he is based right here in New York, the capital of fundraising, America's ATM, we like to call it, which brings me conveniently to my next guest. Glad to welcome to the program Anna Masolia. She is a researcher at the Center for Responsive Politics. She runs Open Secrets' Dark Money Project, tracks political advertising, researches foreign influence, and helped launch the Foreign Lobby Watch Project. So, Anna, welcome to Waking Up. Thank you for having me. I am excited to talk to you. But first, for uh, for uh, everyone who's just getting settled in here, maybe tell us a little bit about your work and about the center. Sure. The Center for Responsive Politics is a Washington based uh, a Washington D.C. based research group. We track uh, campaign spending and other types of money in politics, like lobbying. Um, and most recently, we've been looking at um, new ways to curry influence, which led us. To, um, our most recent project, which is kind of an offshoot of looking at foreign influence spending generally, as well as looking at the personal finances of different politicians. Um, and we should have a, um, we're examining the most recent personal financial disclosures of various presidential candidates, and of course, one being the President of the United States, who is running for re-election in 2020. Our new report that is coming out is based on those personal finance disclosures, which were released by the Office of Government Ethics last week, and that we have posted on our website and should be coming out. Um, the actual report itself should be live next week, um, looking at uh, the President Trump's foreign interests um, through his businesses. In many cases, instead of just seeing that traditional spending, there's a number of other ways that foreign governments, foreign interests, as well as domestic interests can uh, curry influence through alternative channels, such as through spending at hotels, spending on different businesses, but also through other foreign entanglements, such as business partners. And we really wanted to 
explore all of those um, potential entanglements and kind of let people see them all for themselves and come to their own conclusions. Well, so maybe help us out with some of those conclusions. I'm really interested in this. Obviously, one reason that I'm interested in it, and I'm sure a lot of other people are as well, is the fact that you know I don't happen to see a copy of his tax returns in my inbox unless I missed it. I uh, don't really feel like he's going super out of his way to give give the public that information. Um, I think New York is, is sort of working on that project separately. But the stuff that you're talking about, these, these disclosures to, to the Office of Government Ethics, this is one of the ways that we can at least get sort of a peek inside what's going on with his money, where it's coming from, who's spending the money, and so on. So what are you seeing so far? Or what do you expect to see? Well, that's correct. So um, while you don't really get all of the information in these, um, every year Trump, as well as um, all the other candidates for federal office, are required to file these personal finance disclosures. It reports things like assets, income, uh, what board positions um, various politicians are um, are holding. In the case of Trump, some of the most interesting things are those assets and income since he resigned from a lot of the other positions when he became president and took office. But in many cases, you're still seeing him raking in considerable income from a number of different properties, domestic as well as foreign. Um, in the case of his foreign-based properties, we're seeing more than $130 million in um, assets that were held just as of um, the most recent personal financial disclosure, which um, which was, came out in May 2019. We're also seeing um, um, significant income across the board. We've seen Trump with more than, um, we've seen him taking in billions of dollars since he started um, his presidential run, over $2.3 billion um, was our estimation. And in addition to the foreign properties, you're also seeing them spending at a lot of the domestic properties as well. We're seeing places like the Trump International Hotel in D.C. We're seeing Mar-a-Lago as places that are receiving considerable funding from um, places like um, various political parties and campaigns, which are holding fundraisers there, but more, um, more to what we were looking at in our report. You're also seeing foreign governments, foreign um, interest closely tied to those governments holding, um, that have completely moved their annual events to those locations. You're seeing considerable spending reported um, in something in disclosures under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, mm-hmm. um, which is a disclosure rule that requires foreign agents and lobbyists who, um, very similar to what you would see under the Lobbying Disclosure Act for domestic interests, but um, report to the Department of Justice a lot um, in a bit more depth, a lot of their activities, disbursements, and receipts. And so, whenever, say, a foreign political party or a foreign government is holding an event for a quasi political purpose um, that's targeting the United States, you'll see that show up. And in many cases, those are being held at places like Trump International Hotel now, which is Trump's, one of Trump's more recent investments um, a few blocks from the White House. How, how convenient! How convenient! <laughs> uh, and when you talk about when you talk about who's spending the money there, uh, are there certain countries or certain entities that are spending more money? And are what kind of business are those people doing or trying to do with the federal government? Is it military contracting? Is it people who are are 
representing governments in pursuit of trade deals, because obviously you see the the president is not exactly averse to throwing around a tariff or two occasionally. So who's who's spending this money? Um, In that case, it's really all of the above. We've seen a variety of different countries spending there. We've seen everything from increases in spending from countries that are looking at trade deals in many cases with very um, convenient timing for that. We're seeing a lot of Middle Eastern countries spending. One of the um, more, uh, I guess, clear examples of that kind of shift in uh, where events are being held was a um, foreign lobbying operation run by a number of Saudi lobbyists and foreign agents from um, that were representing Saudi Arabia's interests in um, kind of, I guess, uh, JASTA, which is, had financial incentives for Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And uh, up until Trump's election, they were flying a number of veterans, some of who did not know that they were being flown by foreign agents, allegedly, to Washington, D.C., and being held up at some other hotels. But as soon as Trump was elected, they shifted to the Trump Hotel and started flying people there. And you're seeing them spend considerably, and in some cases having a pretty significant dent on Trump's uh, revenue for certain hotels. I believe that um, Saudi Arabia being one of the ones that uh, shows up uh, more than not, (laughs) Um, where you had a single last-minute visit by the Saudi Crown Prince to Trump International Hotel in Manhattan, ended up rising their revenue 13% <laughs> for the first time in, um, uh, in after a two-year decline, and that was just during the first three months of 2018, accounting for that 13% revenue, drop, revenue bump alone. And so you're seeing some properties that had um, declining revenue ha- ending up in the green just because of, um, or at least where it gives the appearance of just because these visits are happening. And in many cases, these are funded by lobbyists, facilitated by foreign agents, and you are seeing that show up pretty considerably. But Trump has interest in just his properties alone. You have more than uh, 20 countries that show up in his personal finance disclosure where he has partnerships or his business has partnerships with various um, interests abroad, and although you are, you do see that the Trump um, organization has pledged to give their um, any type of revenue that um, comes in from those from foreign interests that are paying their domestic hotels. It's really hard to see from the outside of the members of the public whether or not that is happening according to those plans. Since there's very little disclosure around it, I believe last year all we saw was one um, big check and a couple of report lines. And it's really hard to say how much of that is being disclosed since it's a very opaque system. And it's clear that foreign governments are still spending on these properties. But right. most of what we're getting on that is what's reported by those foreign governments and foreign interests and fair filings, what's being reported in some cases through leaks, um, and what you're seeing through um, advertisements for their various um, conferences, that type of thing. But in many cases, you don't know what the exact total is. And so a lot of what is reported in the personal finance disclosure is a very conservative estimate. And I think you made a great point earlier about how we don't really know the full extent of the financial entanglements generally without making the tax returns public. And something that every president has done for decades. <laughs> 
And if you're just joining us, we are talking to uh, Anna Masolia, who is an expert at the Center for Responsive Politics in looking at what's called dark money, uh, political advertising, foreign influence in politics, and the Foreign Lobby Watch Project are uh, among the things that she focuses on. And Anna, you know, people throw around phrases like the emoluments clause. And this becomes sort of, you know, if you if you live in the Washington Twitter bubble and the the Beltway universe. It's like, oh, well, I think this might be a, you know, a violation of the emoluments clause or something like that. But, you know, for for average people, I mean, what the point of the emoluments clause, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the president is prohibited from personally benefiting from from relationships with foreign nations, right? From which essentially keeps is supposed to keep our leaders from becoming tools of other guys' leaders. Is that is that correct here? That is. So you see the emoluments clause, which was put in the Constitution by the founders, or something very much ingrained in the laws, is a section that restricts members of the government from receiving gifts or other benefits from foreign states and leaders without permission from Congress. And that has um, led to a number of questions from uh, Democrats, from a number of different outside groups, about how much... Uh, this very clearly documented income in some cases um, could potentially be in violation of that. And especially without more disclosure around these practices, it's really hard to say whether or not that violation takes place. But there is a lot that has been documented that you can see where, at the very least, um, the appearance of income being exerted, of influence being exerted, the appearance of uh, heavy spending by certain governments and foreign press close to when uh, either executive orders are being considered, where congressional movement is, being, is happening on interests that are very near and dear to them. And in many cases, you'll see extremely heavy spending at Trump properties right, right around when those issues are being considered. And then it sometimes tapers off. You see considerable spending um, at these properties since Trump got elected. And in many cases, people trying to hold up that rubber trust are not necessarily supporting him during the election. You're seeing, in many cases, Trump has had a very hot and cold relationships with certain foreign leaders who he's had business relationships with for decades before running for the presidency in 2016. Uh, we have Argentina, where Trump has had um, serious business dealings with the president and has financial entanglements in that country. You have... There's just so many different, there's a smorgasbord of different ways to create influence more quietly than what would traditionally be reported in lobbying, in lobbying disclosures or even in those FARA disclosures. And mm. it makes it a bit harder to track, which is why we're trying to, our best to collect all of that in one place so that people have a resource to be able to look and um, when they do see messaging from one foreign country talking favorably about a Trump hotel, they can say, I wonder what other interests this uh, foreign interest or this country has with that. Right. And of course, all of this is going on while technically, supposedly, it's uh, President Trump's kids who are running the business and the president has completely taken his hands off of this. There's nothing to do with it. Is uh, is just a uh, Get, getting by on a, I was going to say he's not even getting by on the, the president's salary, which I think is around $400,000 a year because he makes a, a production every quarter of giving that to some noble cause like the you know, Department of the Interior or something, right? Um, so the other part of this that interests me is 
there's the spending that you're talking about at Trump businesses by foreign entities or by lobbyists and so on. But there's also a ton of spending going on at Trump properties by Trump, right? How much times he's, you know, I remember writing a story about like how much the Secret Service was paying for golf carts mm. to go around Mar-a-Lago or for, for New Year's Eve security at Mar-a-Lago. And I can't remember what it was, but it's definitely more than I'm ever going to make in my lifetime or something. Um, is, is, that it, is that anything that you guys have are tracking as well? The amount of money that Trump himself or the Trump administration is spending at Trump's own properties? That is something that we started tracking, um, especially through, since a lot of our focus is on the campaign finance space, we developed a tool called All the President's Profiting, which... Um, All the President's at, Profiting. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> um, we created an entire new page for this, and this is something that we have not really seen on the scale before, with Trump businesses benefiting from, or with, this, with a president, putting president's businesses benefiting so substantially and remaining so closely tied to him while benefiting from political committees, from party committees, from campaigns. And that tracks um, spending by Trump's campaign at Trump properties. It tracks spending by uh, the Republican Party, by various outside groups, by campaigns. And one of the things that's been really striking to me is you can see prior years before Trump ran for office and was elected, and you see this kind of lull where um, in 2014, we had about 35,000. In 2012, you, had, you saw about 77,000. In no year did it exceed $100,000 in, in uh, spending reported by political committees, outside groups, party committees, campaigns, etc. Mm-hmm. And then you see 2016, and that jumps to $13.5 million. <laughs> Okay. So a, uh, a modest increase, you would say. And that's something that's continued. And we saw in 2018, we saw uh, more than $4 million. And that's a considerable jump from not reaching six figures before the 2016 election cycle. Just and like, all, just like all magic, huh? <laughs> so uh, you've been really generous with your time. I, I got one more question for you uh, about what this all means, which is, if the Democrats start talking about this, obviously there's a big intramural brawl going on right now. I think we have, what, 24, 25? Are we up to 25 people competing for the Democratic nomination? Something like that, right? Um, do you think that the Democrats can get any traction by talking about this stuff, by saying, well, look, Donald Trump, he's he certainly appears to be profiting from being president. He's spending money at his own properties. People from foreign governments are are booking rooms at Trump hotels like it's going out of style and so on. Is there anything in there, you think, for Democrats or people just sort of like, ah, you know, I, I got my own life to live. I can't I can't be worrying about that right now. Well, there's a lot of important issues that I think need to be discussed going into the 2020 election cycle. And but I think that this is certainly one of the important issues. I think that at least getting that information out there and making sure people know that these issues do exist, that there is this spending taking place, that these interests, um, that these foreign entanglements especially have not gone away during the presidency is really key and really important. And we've made a point to make sure that the same financial information that we're putting out on Donald Trump is still is also available for all of the major Democrats that are running for office as well. In some cases, we're still waiting for personal finance disclosures from some candidates that requested extensions. But the others we also posted on the Open Secrets website so that you can 
um, any voter can dig through all of their finances um, in the same way that they would with Trump. In many cases, they are not the same level of foreign entanglements you're seeing here, so there's a bit less expensive information. Um, but those are also out there. You're also seeing Trump's net worth being considerably more in a much higher range than any of the Democrats that are running currently, and that's certainly uh, something noteworthy as well. Hmm. Interesting. So... Uh Anna Masole is a researcher at the Center for Responsive Politics. And Anna, where can we find out more about you and Open Secrets and where can we track this stuff? And when will you be sending me my copy of the tax returns? Because I definitely need those. If only I had them. Um, everyone can read more on the Open Secrets website, which is just opensecrets.org. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Analecta, A-N-N-A-L-E-C-T-A. Awesome. Anna, thank you so much for being with us here today on Waking Up. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. So that was, I, I, look, that's, that's something that is fascinating to me. The amount of money, if you care about politics, you care about your household budget, what's coming in and out of your house or how much you're making, or maybe your tax return was better or worse than it was last year or before the tax reforms, right? So just that kind of discussion to me is very interesting because these are people who are really, really digging, really looking behind uh, behind the curtain and trying to figure out where is all this money coming from and where is it going and why? So if you liked that, that conversation, if you like the fact that you can listen to WBAI and hear that kind of deep dive, you know, we're not tweeting out a bunch of random headlines. We are not giving you the, the quote-unquote Snapchat or Instagram version of the news. We are actually getting into this stuff. And we are talking about real issues and real money that affect real people in a real way. So if that matters to you, help us out. Keep us on the air with your generous support. 516-620-3602 is the number to call. 516-620-3602. You know, we are non-corporate, non-commercial, listener-sponsored radio. You are the way we stay on the air. You are the way that we get equipment, including the brand new studio that we have been dreaming about. We are very, very close to getting that studio. Better microphones, better phone lines for you, a better sound, place to bring our guests, including you, possibly, if you... Uh, We'll make a generous pledge of $50 to our More Than Mike's campaign. You can have a chance to come visit the studio that you helped us build. And you can do that uh, during a broadcast of whatever your favorite program is, which is pretty cool. I mean, how many people get to be in a professional radio studio and see a live program go on? It's kind of a unique and cool thing. And we'd like to invite you to do that. So the way you do that is give us a call 516-620-3602, or you can text WBAI to 41444. If you've been thinking about it, don't put it off. Only takes a couple of minutes. You can do it online, WBAI.org. I think that uh, you can also check out the uh, BAI Buddies campaign. Mentioned that a little bit earlier, where you can get some special perks, some special treatment from some of our partners. You can get discounts, you can get gifts, and you can support any show you want on a recurring monthly basis, as much or as little. If you want to start small, that's cool. You can do that. 
Democracy Now!, Talk Back, The Evening News, my show, Driving Forces, uh, that I do with Jeff Simmons. Uh, Jeff Simmons has another show called City Watch. Uh, there are a ton of shows you can check out on WBAI.org, and you can go in and pick your favorite one, and you become a WBAI buddy, and you are showing support for independent free speech radio. Give us a call, 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602. And you know what? I'd rather be talking to more guests right now. I'm going to be upfront about that. I would rather be talking to more cool people, bringing you more news, asking you more questions, taking your phone calls. But this is something that we have to do in order to keep the station up and running and full of programming 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Please help us get across the finish line for that new studio. 516-620-3602. This is your chance to stand up for independent community programming. Please help us out. And we are going to take a little break while you make that phone call or text WBAI to 41444. We will be right back with more Waking Up. You're listening to WBAI New York. Walk away, oh, baby, baby. 
Hi, I'm Laura Flanders of The Laura Flanders Show, which airs Saturdays 6.30 p.m. here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. The Left Forum is right around the corner, and they have generously donated weekend passes to WBAI listener supporters who make a $50 pledge in support of WBAI. I've had the pleasure of hosting many panels and plenaries at the Left Forum over the years, and I'm doing it again this time. I'll be hosting the Saturday Plenary on the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and a session with Chris Hedges and Rick Wolfe on Lenin. So come meet me, Laura Flanders, and the others at the 2019 Left Forum and be part of a conversation about radically imagining and building a different future.